Greetings, Earthlings. It's Chris Latori. You're listening to the Sunspots Comics Podcast, issue number six. Thanks for tuning in to issue number six. Thanks for looking at our website, sunspotscomics.com. And thanks for following us on Instagram and Twitter at sunspotscomics. And today we've just got a show that's just jam-packed. We're going to jump into the mailbag. We're going to dive into the stash after that. Uh, I want you to put a warm blanket on for segment number three, which is two really good feel-good comic book stories. We're going to have a Sunspot special moment. Can't say it's a minute. I actually have our first celebrity here, my father, the leader of the band, or one of the leaders of the band anyway, of the Sunspots himself on the podcast where we talk for about five minutes of just kind of a random conversation. We're going to dive into the world of AI quickly after that. I'm going to talk about a soundtrack that I've been listening to with comic books that you're going to just dig. And we're going to talk about Eisner's coming up. We're going to talk about just so much other stuff. And of course, the top five, my favorite part. It was a it was a great week of comics, and it was really tough to come up with the top five. But anyway, that's just a little splash, little taste, little little nibble, if you will, on what's coming up on the show. But let's get right into it and jump right into the mailbag. This week... I got a great mailbag uh, mail from Marty, Marty A. He's from Idaho, and Marty wrote in two emails, and I wanted to thank you, Marty. You will be getting a special prize, comic book-related gift. I'm going to be hitting you up and asking your address so I can mail you something special, like I did to Sylvia. Sylvia is going to be getting Saga Volume 1. Hope you enjoy that. But let's jump into Marty's couple of emails here. His first one said that he listened to podcast number four, and he really enjoyed the story about my parents and the Rat Pack. And thank you. I I appreciate that. And I hope you enjoy the Sunspots uh, segment of the show coming up, where I actually sat down and talked to my dad. And the second part of his question was, how about polls? And I think that's, that's, get out of my brain, Marty, because I'm going to be going to, there's so many Marvel movies coming up and superhero comic book movies coming up that I'm going to be going to some of the theaters nearby where I live in Los Angeles and kind of taking some polls and talking to people as they leave the theater and asking them their opinion on certain movies. And one thing I wanted to do was incorporate doing some polls. So that's coming up, Marty. And his other second part of his, or second email actually, was, can you talk about the comic book advertisements in the 60s and 70s? Well, me being a child of the 70s, I was most definitely, definitely involved in these comic book advertisements. And he sent me this great link to this site called Mental Floss, titled 11 Shameless Comic Book Ads That Cost Us Our Allowance Money. And let me tell you, any spare change that I had you know, that I, that I had digging out of, you know, couches and doing allowance and mowing lawns and cleaning pools. If I had any money left over, I was buying these silly, <laughs> these silly things like x-ray specs for a dollar. This, this article is fantastic. The second one is sea monkeys. Yeah. Everything on this list I've purchased and spent money. Frontier cabins. This was like a log cabin little mini log cabin set. I remember this one specifically because there was a kid like wearing a raccoon hat. And when you got the log cabin set, cause it was a, like a dollar, they were just so small. It was like this miniature set, uh, like uh, the size of a matchbox. And uh, yeah, I, I bought the frontier cabin and there was a, another one about how you can become a ventriloquist. It was like 25 cents. The article below that says that they did actually find that no one was getting this book of how to become a ventriloquist. So yes, all of these. This Charles Atlas dynamic tension shows a picture of 
you know, this wimpy guy. And then he reads this manual, this, this, this almanac, and he becomes this behemoth, this Schwarzenegger, this, this Hulk. Yeah, I bought into that one too. And I remember receiving a little teeny little pamphlet about exercise, do push-ups, eat your vegetables, say your prayers, all that stuff. Kryptonite rocks. That was another one. Yeah, I, I definitely spent money on these little teeny little white kind of glow-in-the-dark sprayed rocks. They were like $2.50. Um, I didn't, the next one, number seven is like fake facial hair. I didn't do that one. I don't know. wasn't interested in that. <laughs> uh, the next one, number eight is like a free miniature monkey. Yeah. Another one that they just ripped you off. They just, uh, you sent the money in. You didn't get a monkey. You didn't get a toy monkey. You got nothing. They went after this company and there was cease and desist letters. The PF flyers, number nine. No, didn't really do that one. Um, number 10 hypno coin. Yeah. It's a picture of this where there's just like a, it's like a piece of metal that's painted into a, like a black and white spiral. And those were a dollar and you could hypnotize your friends. Yeah, I had that. It didn't work. I couldn't even hypnotize myself. The uh, number 11, last one is the Polaris nuclear sub. It looks gigantic. Like you're going to jump into this $7 sub that fires torpedoes and rockets. It was like this little toy. I don't know why they said it was seven feet long. It was paper. So yeah, Marty, thanks for pointing out uh, where a lot of my money just went wasted. But I always held on to hope. I always thought, wow, if just one of these could be amazing. Uh, could you imagine what my life would be like? And I, I put the money, I spent the money, I never cut out. I would uh, try to just make copies, which you know back then was, was quite tedious and expensive. And I guess occasionally I did probably just tear them out and, uh, and send them away, which is, oh, which is, no, you don't do that. But yeah, Marty, thanks for pointing that out. Great article, Mental Floss, 11, 11 shameless comic book ads that cost us our allowance money. So true. And it actually re- it leads me into a comic book that capitalized upon this called Luther Strode. Uh, Luther Strode is uh, by Justin Jordan, Trad Moore, who is artist, ridiculously fantastic, and Philippe Sobrero on art, or I guess on ink. And the premise of this story, the origin, is that Luther is this nerdy, scrawny, clumsy kid you know, the big glasses, he's just uh, being bullied by everyone in school, and he's kind of fed up with that, and he pulls out a comic book and finds this Hercules method, and he sends away for it, and when he reads this Hercules method, I guess a, f- a, a random few people in the world become these amazing behemoth, incredible Hulk with these amazing reflexes, and they're just muscle upon muscle upon muscle, 15, 18, 27 pack of abs, and they become these crazy superheroes, and that's the premise of the story. So it uh, loved the fact that this character, Luther Strode, Justin Jordan, wrote him based on probably the same thing I did, which was spending way too much money on those silly ads in comic books. But it's fantastic. There's three volumes of it, Luther Strode. Maybe you should check that out, uh, Marty, since it's based on uh, what I'm assuming you've probably spent a lot of money on yourself. So check that out, Marty. So that's our mailbag. Thank you again, Marty, and I'll be seeking you out to get your address and be sending you a little something. So let's, after that, uh, since that segment is done, let's jump right in and dive into the stash. And I pulled one out of the stash that I thought was interesting. It's uh, called Orchid. It's by Image Comics. Orchid was written by Tom Marinello. Tom Marinello, the guitar player of Rage Against the Machine. 
I'm, I'm a fan, not a gigantic fan of that band, but I know that his skill in the guitar realm of the world is amazing. He definitely um, is one of those top 10 guitarists, I would say, of all time. Very unique in his style. And that's what it what relates to his comic book, Orchid. It's said in the When the Seas Rise, I'll read the little blurb, genetic codes were smashed. Human settlements are ringed by a dense wilderness from which ferocious new animal species prey on the helpless. The high ground belongs to the rich and powerful that overlook swamp-lad shanty towns from their fortress-like cities. Iron-fisted rule ensures order and allows the wealthy to harvest the poor as slaves. So it definitely has some of that fight the power, you know, going against the government sort of tone that his music has portrayed for years. And the interesting part of Orchid was that at the very end of each comic, and I've got to go back, I don't think I completely finished all three volumes. I did them in in single issues. I think I probably got to 10 or 12 or so, didn't finish it. I think there were only 12. I'll look into that. But he would actually give you a code to download from his website a song that he sort of wanted you to play along as you read the comic. And I think it was just one of those comics for me that at the time I was probably doing so many titles and sometimes you have to cut here and there. And I think that's what happened with Orchid, but I'm going to go back and finish it because the art was amazing. It was definitely sort of ahead of its time. It was, I want to say 2011 when this originally came out. The volume one uh, paper tradeback came out in July of 2012. And the music that he came up with was rather interesting. It was uh, twisted. It was a... sometimes just unique and strange and melodic tones and sounds that were just eerie that went along with the comic. Sometimes they weren't, you know, depending on how long it takes for you to read a comic, you could just replay it. I kind of at first thought it would um, time out just right, I guess, but, you know, everyone reads at a different speed, so I guess that would be really hard to do, but that would have been cool. But I think there just should be more of this. I think that he was on to something here. It was ahead of its time. Maybe it just wasn't fully embraced because people were like, wow, this is odd. This is different. Download the song. Listen to it at the same time. I don't know if I'm going to go through all that. I did it. I was into it. I hope there's more of this that comes out. There hasn't been since. But for anyone out there listening, check out Orchid. Listen along to the music. It's not necessarily all rock in the realm style of Rage Against the Machine. So it's soundtrack based. And it's just beautifully done. The art and the coloring check it out. That's Orchid from Image Comics, available in Trade Paper Volume 1, 2, and 3. I guess they wrapped it up in that that, uh, particular arc. And that actually leads me, Orchid, into a soundtrack that I absolutely love. I've purchased it. It's the movie soundtrack for Captain America Winter Soldier by Henry Jackman. And I gotta say, this soundtrack is amazing. It has like a fusion mix of techno and electronic and just very heroic tones. Big brass, big horns, just a big sound. The uh, the Smithsonian track has that wartime feeling to it. You know, the Band of Brothers uh, snare drum feeling at the beginning. The Fury track, I wrote a note, has like that there's a tornado coming into the town. And you know when they play those that horn throughout the city, that... It has that throughout the throughout that track, and it just has a cool feel to it. The mid the uh, in midway midway into this into this, I wrote a note here that oh yeah, they midway into the tracks uh, somewhere around five or ten, 
They start using this sort of dive bomber plane sound, like a kamikaze plane going in. And I just love that. It's just... It, uh, it's just... I'm sorry, I can't do a very good bomber plane. But they kind of reuse that tone. And, and then last, they even threw in like a big band tune that fits along perfectly with the era of, of the Captain America movie. And the Falcon references to Captain America at the beginning of the movie that he get Marvin Gaye Trouble Man. Well, they have that that particular track on this soundtrack at the very end. So you can hear Marvin Gaye's Trouble Man, which is a fantastic, smooth, jazzy, just Marvin Gaye at his prime, just knocking him down. So I definitely recommend that, that soundtrack. Great to listen to comic books. Put it on shuffle. Stick it in your ear holes. It's just It just times out well. Sounds great. The heroic feeling and sound. Yet even sometimes dark, brooding, and and a little scary, which I think just plays out really, really well. So I recommend that. Henry Jackman, movie soundtrack, Captain America, Winter Soldier. Five out of five. Plus, 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 plus. Good, good, good. Get it. Now we're going to dip into... Let's take a peek into the world of AI. Actually, it's very light this week. There was just a couple of AI stories that were interesting. One of them... This was from Business Insider in their tech department, and it actually says, Google, the art, and this is a statement from Google, the artificial intelligence we're working on won't destroy humanity. Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger is in his Terminator getup right there on the main page of it, but it talks about Mustafa Suleiman, um, one of the co-founders of Google, and she says that she emphasizes that there's been heavy talk that researching artificial intelligence is not going to destroy humanity. And they go into it in this conference where they talk about how it's going to be a powerful tool, but they're going to have control of it. They don't say how. And then last, the part of the article article says that uh, one of the questions that Suleiman received after his talk was about DeepMind's ethical board. The Wall Street Journal reports that Google created a board of people who make sure that DeepMind's AI developments remain safe and legal. Another team of people sitting around in a room making sure, hopefully making sure, that AI is not going to destroy us. But they won't release the names, they won't release the people, and they even refuse to say who was in that uh, team in the conference itself. So take it for what it is, folks. But even Google's sitting around talking about it. And the second and final article from Discovery News in the robotics section titled, Samurai Robot Challenges Human Sword Master. So here's this this Yasukawa blue metallic insane looking arm, robotic arm imbued with artificial intelligence with a samurai sword. Yeah, a big old samurai sword. And so they've decided to, this Japanese robotics company named Yaskawa Electrical Electric Corporation, decided to imbue this robot with some artificial intelligence to make it improvise and come up with ways to stab its opponent multiple times until his face is dead. So interesting there, Japan. Like, let's, yeah, coming up with software for robots to use uh, samurai swords. Uh, I could just see a, a like a, 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 a like, a, just a, a legion of these, right? Just, just marching in Japan. 
Well, anyway, that's uh, <laughs> that's stepping into the world. I hope you like that little peek into the world of AI. So next up, I wanted to point out that the Eisners, the Eisners are coming. What's an Eisner? What's an Eisner? Well, the Eisners are the Academy Awards of comic books. And I've been thinking about the Eisners. Over the years, I've read many Eisner winners. I read the, read the stories, loved them, enjoyed them. But you have to find them. You have to you have to go after them. You have to just seek information. You have to go to the Eisner website. You have to go to San Diego San Diego Comic Con's website and dig into them. It's it's just to me. I'm gonna step on my soapbox here for a second if I can. Stepping on the Eisners to me should be a major award show. Why not? Red carpets, uh, musical performances. Boy, that could, we can have Tom Marinello talking about Orchid. We uh, memoriams. We've been losing some some amazing people that have been around for a long time in comics. Uh, there would be that whole memoriam section. Fantastic, just like like everything else. Why not? I think there should be that every year. It should be a show. We should we should be watching it on TV. It should be a web show. Whatever the technology. Let's just we we deserve one. If if there can be a, a, a to- the Tonys, right? Which I guess I read an article. The Tonys viewership has been dramatically declining every year to now I think there are six million viewers. Comic-Con every year has 195,000 people there. I, I, I can see them blow away the Tonys in a heartbeat. Sorry, folks, if you're a Tony fan out there and you like watching the Tonys every year. But why not have a Eisner Award show? Let's have it. There's 31 Eisner Awards uh, that you're that given out every year, and they announce them in July at San Diego Comic-Con. From I'm not going to read all 31 of them, but you can just go to Wikipedia and see them. From Best Writer, to Best Penciler, to Best New Series, to Best Coloring, to Best Letterer, to Best Cover Artist. These all need to be in the forefront. Uh, they need to have their own award show. I'm just saying. So anybody out there listening, let's let's gather the troops. Let's let's put the word out that the Eisners need a award show. I'm just saying. Okay, I'll step off the uh, soapbox right now. So, moving on, um, let's go into the Sunspots Minute. It's our Sunspot section, sun, Sunspots interview. This is uh, my my dad, uh, Roger, my younger brother, John. I invited them over to create some, to help me create some music for this very podcast that you're listening to. And we just were sitting around brainstorming, playing around with an awesome keyboard, recording music, and trying to come up with some unique uh, sounds, tones, to have some original music for the podcast for all of y'all out there, y'all. And when it was all, our session was done, which it went really well, and there's going to be more sessions to come up with more content. But after the session was completed, I just, we were kind of exhausted, but I hit my dad up real quick. I said, dad, would you mind being on the podcast for just a few minutes? We'll just, I'll just, whatever pops into my head, we'll talk about It's It'll just be relaxed, you and me talking. And it's basically a story about my cousin, Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hi, if you're listening to, to the podcast, which I hope you are. And hi, Michelle's two daughters, my little second cousins, which they call me uncle. Hi, Mariah and Michaela. And Mariah, awesome. She loves to read comics. She actually is a humongous, uh, charmed fan. And she's read the comics after the show ended, which I've, I've given her some as gifts. So way to go, Mariah. Michaela, we got we to gotta get her into comics. She's the younger one. But anyway, this story's about her and something that happened to her and with her health and how the Sunspot sort of jumped in to, to help her because of this illness that she had and, and a little peek into how this, the state of the, the, the Sunspots at that t- 
time. Um, so here's a little peek, and I'm going to cut into it. It's about five minutes long, and I hope you enjoy it. But it's with my with Pops Roger, my dad, the uh, the headliner, the 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 man. The, he's played bass and he sang, and he was the, the I would say the the jokiest of my uncles that were on the band. And and uh, so here you go. Here's uh, me and Pops Roger talking after our our audio session. Hope you dig it. This is Pops Roger. How you doing, Pops Roger? I'm okay. How are you, Sunspots comic book collectors? <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show, Dad. So uh, tell me a little interesting story about the Sunspots, if you will. Share one with me that uh, goes way back into the archives. Maybe a little Sunspot stories that, you know, that nobody knows about. Okay, George is one of the members of the Sunspots. His wife gave birth to, to Michelle. But Michelle was a blue baby, which is very rare. And she, she was going to pass away. She's going to die if we don't uh, give blood. So all of the sunspot gave blood to compensate for the blue blood. So, and then she, was, she, was, she had a transfusion. They gave the, the right blood for her, and she survived. And then, of course, we recorded uh, some songs in Florida, and all the proceeds went to to her to her uh, blood work. What what year was this? Oh my God, that was uh, late sixties. Late sixties could be seventy or seventy one. And they called her Blue Blood Baby. What was that? What was that exactly? It's rare. It's uh, when it's a blue baby. That means. She doesn't have the right blood for her body, so so they have to give her a different kind of blood, which is our blood donations. So all the sunspots uh, basically donated, blood. donated all the, all the different band members gave some blood. Yeah, all of us uh, five sunspots gave blood, and the uh, the blood association gave her the right blood for her. So this was like the late 60s, I guess, early 70s, because this is my cousin Michelle, and she's just a few years older than me, and I was born in 72. What was the, how, how were the Sunspots doing then, right around that time? Like, how, uh, how were you guys doing? Were you traveling? Like, what was the status of the Sunspots around that late 60s, early 70s? Oh, we were traveling just all over, and that, that happened in Tampa, Florida, and uh, when, when, when Michelle was born. So we did the recordings there too, and uh, and after that we always travel all over. After Florida, I think we went we went to we went back to Las Vegas, and then we went to Atlantic City and and all different parts of the United States. So at that time, were you guys like hitting it pretty big? You were pretty busy, like traveling a lot at that point. Pretty busy, like two weeks here, three weeks there, four weeks there. Eight weeks in Las Vegas, then travel again all over the country. You name it, we've been there. And at, at that, so you guys were basically on the road when this incident happened with um, George, my uncle George's daughter Michelle. You guys were on the road at the time. On the road all the time, yes. On I mean, road. at the time when the incident happened, you guys were like in Tampa. On in Tampa, but in Tampa we worked longer. Sometimes we worked there for eight weeks. 
in the same place, so we were pretty much in the same place. And there were a bunch of little 45s, little LPs that were put together, like all of that uh, that money. The, the, I've seen them before. They are, they're like yellow, right? They say... Uh, Sunspots, yeah. Did the, they say Michelle's name? I think Michelle's yeah, name. Michelle's name. Michelle's name. It was like uh, Michelle's Records, right? Michelle Production. Michelle Production. And all the money that uh, you received from those LPs, were the LPs just covers? Well, 45s. Oh, the 45s. Were, was all the, um, were they all original songs, or were they actually, like, you know, were they remakes of stuff? Some, of, some are uh, original songs. Uh, I think we did uh, one, two, maybe four or six originals. Wow, and anything uh, happened with those originals? Like, were you guys trying to get them to be published and produced and dist- you know distributed? Uh, for, unfortunately, we didn't do too much uh, selling of those. Not too much. Some some are like original Filipino songs, actually. That's right, like uh, the Ikao song, right? Ikao, and then uh, we did uh, one more, and then the one that you always play for me, just for a moment. Yeah, that's uh, that's one. That's an original song. Who wrote that that song? Oh, some some guy in, in Tampa, Florida. I, I don't <laughs> even know. Wow, it was his original song. He gave it to you guys to sing that song. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, I love that song. Well, that's great, Dad. Thanks for the information. That's gonna wrap it up for our Sunspots minute. And there'll be more stories from the Sunspots in the upcoming future. So thanks, Dad, for sharing. He's our first celebrity guest on Sunspots Comics podcast. Thank you. <laughs> So thanks, Dad, and uh, that'll do it for our Sunspots Minute. All right. Well, that was uh, thanks, Dad, for for being there, and I hope to have more interviews with Pops Roger in the future where him and I are sitting around talking about the Sunspots and whatever. But thanks again, Dad and John, for, for spending some time with me trying to come up with some original music, and that was just a whole lot of fun. And uh, next up is a couple of well hey put on a uh, put on a warm blanket because you're about to get two feel good comic book stories so you know grab a cup of hot cocoa maybe your favorite warm star wars blanket and uh check out these two kind of cool stories the first one is about disneyland my wife and i love disneyland we have the annual passes we go often it's just a feel good place the aura the environment it just makes you feel happy and good it just pumps the endorphins right into the brain whatever it is and it's just for us it's a it's a little bit of happy candy so i read this article recently about how in 1955 when disneyland opened they had a small bookstore near the emporium if you're familiar with main street that sold books and sold comics with their own Dell logo. Not anything to do with Dell computers, but they released the first series of like Donald Duck and Disneyland and Mickey and their own their own uh, sort of publishing name. And I just wish it was there. It's not there anymore, but kind of cool. Uh, it's a huge article on Mouse Planet, and it's titled Dell and Disneyland, When Disneyland Sold Comic Books. So it's a humongous article, but check it out. There's some pictures of the old Dell comics. There's some history of, uh, about it and picture of of donald pointing out where the comic books are sold and just a great article got to give props to jim corcus the staff writer of mouse planet that that has that article there so check that one out definitely a feel good because disneyland makes me feel good so there you go and the second feel good one was from this site called marianas variety 
It's Micronesia's leading Micronesia, yeah, leading newspaper since 1972. And the title of it, I don't know how I found this one, but I did. It says about 1,500 comic books to be distributed at a public library. How cool is that? There is an actual comic book store. It says it says about 1,500 comics will be distributed free to those taking part in Free Comic Book Day at Giotin Kiu Public Library on Saturday morning. Glenn Keaton, who's the owner of Green Flash Comics in Garapan, I don't know where these places are, honestly, I'll have to look them up, said the, in- the event will introduce as many people as possible to the wonders of comic books. So this guy, this comic book owner, has just decided to go to a public library, dish out like 1,000 to 1,500 comic books, and just hand them out for free, for of all ages. He looks like he spent a little time making sure that he's giving out comics to the right age group and so, or at least explaining to the parents. This could be adult in nature. But, wow. I mean, way to go, guy. Uh, Keaton. That doesn't reference... uh, Glenn Keaton of uh, Green Flash Comics in Garapan, wherever that is. Good for you. Just... That's just made me feel good when I saw that he's just going to dig out 1500 from the archives and give them away for free. It's, it's just a beautiful art form. It's going to hit so many people with that. And just another feel-good story there. So hope uh, now we can take the blanket off, finish off the hot cocoa, and uh, there you go. Those just made me feel good. <laughs> a couple of stories, and they're rare. So when I find them, i got to point them out. So uh, there's a couple of feel-good comic book stories. Anyway, next, uh, my favorite part and, uh, you know, the last part of the segment. So thanks again for listening on. But this is uh, this was a fantastic week of comic books. It was really, really difficult. I'm going into the top five now, folks. Let's go in there. Let's get into it. The top five comic books of the week for June 10th. It, it was 18 comic books. It was a good mixed bag. When I was out of the 18, when I was sitting down deciding to come up with the top five, I put 11 of the 18 aside as potential top five, and it was tough. I spent like 20 minutes going over each one, looking over the pages again, viewing the art, thinking of the story, what moved me emotionally, what was what really stood out, and all 11 did. So I have to, I had to find a way to chisel them all down to give you the top five. And they were fantastic. So let's jump right into it. The top five this week. Number five was Birthright by Image Comics. Williamson, Bresson, and Lucas. This was number in the series, actually number eight. And this story is where a young boy goes into the woods, disappears. Father's blamed for maybe killing the boy. He and destroys this boy's family, mother and and father divorced. The younger boy is getting in serious trouble. His brother, the younger brother, is getting in trouble in school. All of a sudden, the older brother, this boy disappeared, shows back up. And he was in this insane Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones crazy world where now he's back on Earth and he's older. And this just really taps on the heartstrings with the sort of brother, the brotherly love in this and the art is amazing. The blues and the tones on page two, the splash page of these three aliens, or aliens or crazy monsters that are chasing now after our main character. And it's just gorgeous. Now his, his younger brother has been shot on accident, and he's got to find a way to, to heal him. And uh, it's it just taps on the heartstrings. If you have a brother... And I do I have two of them, and this just gets me. He's trying to take care of his brother now that's shot. He doesn't know that these three monsters are coming out of that world to get him. He 
is supposed to be doing our main character, who I'm searching for his name, and I'm horrible with names of characters, but the main character is like this Conan the Barbarian kind of guy now, and his brother's still eight, now maybe 12, 13 years old, and he's supposed to go to Earth to destroy it. He's sort of possessed by this evil demon, but he's fighting against it to, to do right for his brother and do right for his family. And then something else comes out of this portal. Um, well, they flash back and forward, back and forth in time and dimension to when he was in that Lord of the Rings world. And he had this young girl that was a winged creature that was his friend. And well, she now pops out of the portal, is on Earth, and is pregnant and looking for her husband. So another little twist. The young boy that was gone for so long has this uh, sort of almost angel-looking woman wearing goggles that's pregnant and is now searching for our main character. So just uh, the story goes deep into so many little topics about family and and is he going to do the right thing here? And it just so many great story aspects there that just ring home for me. And uh, that's the number five pick. Number four, Rebels. Number three, Dark Horse Comics. Brian Wood, Andrea Moody, and Jordi Belair. Jordi Belair colors everything, by the way, so if you're just wondering why color is good in comics, it's because she's doing it. There you go, Jordi. Anyway, uh, this is uh, going back to the Civil War days, and let me tell you, this isn't a comic I, again, would normally gravitate to. It's like a history lesson. It's focused upon this one gentleman that uh, is at the first part of the story flashing back to when he has to save his father that falls through this thick ice and things were rough back then they're many miles from their home doing what it doesn't really say but the young son has to save his father his father now has a leg injury and is has almost he's hypothermia and frostbite and he has to take and drag his father for many, many miles in this heavy-duty winter. And uh, it it's just insane what he has to go through, and he has to heal his father. He has to find bugs and worms, crush them up, and feed them to his father. It just uh, shows you that, you know, it's a just insane what people had to do to survive and live back then, especially in this kind of climate. And then we jump forward to where the, now the young boy is older, and his wife is alone on a farm. They don't have, have children. And he's gone for long periods of time now fighting in this militia for various states in the Union at the time. And it just shows kind of what she has to go through to keep keep a farm going, a small property. It's not like it's a gigantic acreage of farm, but shows that loneliness that she has, that she goes through lighting fires by herself and hearing noises in the woods and being alone at night. She just, uh, it, it, you feel it. You look into her face and you, see, you feel the emotion of the loneliness and, and the winter and the noises and the woods. And, and so that's, I'm not going to spoil it. So that's where I'm going to leave that, but just great little piece, period piece. And it really paints a, a, a grim picture of how things were back then, but how this this guy struggles through it and finds a way to live, and he even has a wife. And, and then what the wife goes through just waiting for him is just it really hit me emotionally, and well done. That's number four. Uh, that was uh, Rebels, number three, by Dark Horse. And number three, from Archie Horror Comics, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, number three. And 
this is uh, I'm not an Archie fan. I uh, I'm finding these adult versions of these stories of Archie, like uh, um, the the other one, Afterlife with Archie, and this Sabrina tale. She's a teenage witch, I would think, and this really focuses upon her inauguration, her jumping in, her 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 um, baptism into witchcraft, and. They sell it really at the beginning part of this, her aunts that are raising Sabrina. And they really have a lovely family unit there. Her two aunts are raising her and, and giving her the, telling her that this life of witchcraft is a choice. They're completely giving her the option. It's not like they're forcing her into it. It's, it's an, it's an, an honest and interesting take on just say an aunt's, uh, their religion and, how they don't force it upon her, they completely give her the choice and, and explain witchcraft in this historical way, even with using their powers for little historical flashbacks. And so they're really kind of selling you on this, and you see that she's struggling, Sabrina's struggling with, does she want to go into witchcraft? Does she want to just remain mortal? They tell her, well, you know, if you're a witch, you can fly. If you're a witch, you age slower. So they're really selling this. And you're thinking, I'm thinking the whole time, okay, where, where does... Where does the uh, where does the road turn? Where does the fork in the road go? Ah, okay, that's why uh, she shouldn't be into witchcraft. Well, that happens, of course, but well done, I have to say. The art is eerie and dark, and this she devil that is now in the mix knows that her baptism uh, when you're 16 is coming and wants to wants to mess those plans up for why we don't really know at this point. And her boyfriend, who is clueless, Sabrina's boyfriend is clueless of the fact. This she-devil gives her hints to break up the ceremony, the seance. And that's as far as I'm going to go, so it doesn't spoil the rest of it. And at the end, this won't spoil anything, they give a little just couple of pages, this is even after the comic is over, of um, a comic book from July of 1941. And it's from the Pep Comics. Pep, P-E-P. And it's uh, Madam Satan. I looked this up. 1941, they this particular Pep Comics number 17 did a variety of little stories, and one of them was Madam Satan, and you can definitely see where they got the influence from it. And it's it's pulpy, it's 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 an era piece. It's written, you know, of the life and times in the 40s, and it just has that glamour and glitz and the nightclubs and the top hats and the the old cars and the and the old pistols and and it's. It's just nice to see where their influence of this Sabrina story came from, and it's a real comic, and it's it's nice to see it reprinted, and I, I think I might have to grab that eventually. Pep Comics number 17, July 1941. Pretty cool. So that's the number three, Sabrina number three. And oh, by the way, that was a... Uh, forgot to give a shout out to the family. That story by Robert Ag- Aguirre Sakasa. Artwork by Robert Hack. Very awesome art and coloring. Have to give them mad props. Number two. Harrow County. Dark Horse Comics. Colin Bunn, Tyler Crook. This is uh, Harrow County number two. Another witch tale. This is of a young girl that finds out that she lived near a possessed tree that they a long time ago hung a witch from. And she lived close to it, and it's having this effect upon her where now she's showing witch-like symptoms. But she just has this sweet and innocent heart, and she's in conflict with this. She doesn't want to become a witch and have to use her powers for evil. She knows nothing about it. The flip side of Sabrina, if you will. 
she's just sort of fallen into it. And she comes across a, a, a dead corpse, whereas the skin seems to be alive and talking to her and giving her advice and, and warning her of danger. And so she's taken this bag of skin along with her. Pretty creepy and dark, but at the same time, she just has this pleasant nature about her. And and the art on this is ridiculous. The, the watercoloring on it is just beautiful. The colors, even where they allowed the watercoloring to run, like in page five, just has this natural, like Rockwell, like you're looking at a Rockwell painting, a Norman Rockwell painting, even the way the skin looks kind of nasty and gross, but the, all the skin that she, the facial features, the, the discoloration of the her dad, the farmer, uh, his nose is red and such, just seems real. And then there's this flashback scene, which uses only rainbow-like colors. Just the primaries, blues, greens, yellow, orange. And the interesting way to do a flashback scene where they show this strange, weird knot in the tree and cut into it, and there's the bones of the witch. So, interesting little strange sort of dream flashback and colored in such an amazing way. But, fantastically done. It's, it's creepy, it's dark, but her innocence and purity and her desire to do good, um, and she runs off. She says, okay, I don't want any part of this. I'm going to run. And she ends up having a friend help her out. And that's the beginning of the story. So I'm in on this, and I normally don't... Look at that, two witch stories, too, back-to-back. Back. So that's uh, number two, Harrow County, number two, Dark Horse Comics, Cullen Bunn, Tyler Crook. And the number one pick of the week was Crononauts. Miller and Murphy. Sean Murphy's art is cuckoo on this. And it's number four. It looks like it's the final. It sure wraps it up, but um, don't want to spoil it, but this is, it just reminds me of Back to the Future. This is finally where the two dudes have just kind of run out of time. The science organization has finally caught up to them. They're wreaking all sorts of havoc on the timeline continuum, making all sorts of variances in time, and they're, they use their own, you know, they're using this, this time travel for their own personal gain to gather riches and armies, and they mix armies of... And there's one page here where, uh, you know, the bad guy has to deal with a T-Rex, and what that T-Rex does is hysterical. I don't want to spoil it, but <laughs> you didn't see this coming. And... The, what I love about this is that friendship between the two guys. It it becomes real in this, and you can you can feel they're actually really friends. And so it's that buddy buddy thing that hits hits the heartstrings. And then throughout this, he decides to just the, he makes that decision to to do the right thing. But before he does that, to use this time travel ability to heal the relationship with his wife and to work on the relationship with his, his recovering alcoholic father, who, from the sounds of it, he didn't pay any attention to. He went right into science. It destroyed his marriage, and it um, eventually killed his dad. So that even really just hit me on an emotional level, the way they, they portray this relationship, where he goes back and uses this time travel ability to work on that relationship with his dad. So it really hit me, and it, it, really, it really just... You could, you could, from the art, of course, is what really, I think, brings the emotion, the emotion into it. You could see the, the close-up on the faces and the tears in their eyes, like, and how he makes his mar- marriage better, and 
how when he steps in and at a moment with his wife where he's late for a dinner reservation, then he ends up showing up, and how he improves his life from that point, and with this this love of his life, and he keeps that and helps his father, and uh, I don't want to spoil it, but a lot of good stuff there, and so uh, it's going to be a great movie. I hope they, and it is optioned, it's good. Can't wait to see what they make this look like, because... The, the, the look of it is uh, all over the place. This artist gets to draw from dinosaurs to Greek uh, to, to Rome to, to seeing Christopher Columbus. <laughs> they go back and look at Christopher Columbus hitting the beach, and that's hysterical because, I'll just say it, they, they uh, portray him as a little heftier dude than I think some of the paintings show. But just the, the adventure of this, the swashbuckling nature, the fun, the romping around in the time zones, the T-Rexes, just all of it. It's just fun, and it did hit emotionally at the end. It was more action-packed, one through three, but this fourth one resonated. It, it just had this these close-ups, the looks in their faces, the, the tears. It, I was in. I bought it. I'm a sucker for that stuff. But anyway, that's the uh, top five. Go get them. Add them to your pull list. Trust me, invest. Just buy them. They're so good. And if you want to see the full list of all the comics I purchased for June 3rd, all 18 of them, go to sunspotscomics.com. I put the whole list there now. And I'm starting to write little articles, so please check that out too on sunspotscomics.com. I wrote one recently about my experience with checking out something digital. And uh, that's on there as well. So. So that's going to basically wrap up the show, and uh, gosh, I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you had fun. Hope you go buy some comics. Hope this inspires, uh, if you're on the fence, just just go get them. Just, just take a look at what I've recommended, and they're winners. You can't, you can't lose. But thank you so much for listening in to issue number six of Sunspots Comics Podcast. Hope you had a good time, and please check out sunspotscomics.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at sunspots. And, of course, we can't end the show without the following thing message. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Think it'll like? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye.